Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jeff. We have an exciting launch that's happening on Thursday, June 11th. Head over to LinkedIn and look up Gain, Grow, Retain. Go ahead and follow the page and we'll have more announcements soon. So we had a great call today, CS Leadership Office Hours. We do that every Thursday. And um, we talked about executive business reviews and we broke the group up uh, this week and talked about enterprise. In one group, we talked about enterprise business reviews and what that looks like. And then we looked at, or then we uh, had the other group talking about SMB uh, executive business reviews because that's a slightly different approach, right? Because it's higher volume and that kind of thing. So some really interesting conversation came up. And um, this whole idea of champions and executive stakeholders, executive sponsors uh, came up. And so had a really interesting conversation that went from EBRs really to relationship management and how you get to the executive to have a higher level conversation if you're a CSM. So. Welcome to the Game Grow, Retain podcast. Really interesting conversation. Christy, you had some thoughts on what is a champion versus what is a main point of contact? So give us your perspective on that and then we'll, we'll dive in on it. Yeah. So I think, you know, this is not uncommon, right? I think in a lot of organizations, people refer to their main point of contact as their champion, right? They almost use them interchangeably when the reality of it is, is that your champion should be the person who's like actively selling your, your partnership internally, right? Like they're the person who's advocating for you all the time. So in this example, in the conversation we're having today, which was interesting is that someone had raised the point, right? If your champion and they refer to them as their champion, isn't able to broker or isn't willing to broker a conversation with the executive stakeholder to have that EBR, what do you do. And so immediately what I was, what ran through my head is that, well, then your champion's not a champion, they're a blocker, right? Like they can't be a blocker and a champion. So if it's your main point of contact, which most of them are, that's fine. You can actually start to actually put them into levels, right? Like I would say they start off as your main point of contact because it's the person you've got to build that initial relationship with. Maybe you can get them to a point where they are a supporter, um, right? Where they are, they're supportive of the partnership. They might they might encourage other people to engage with you, right? But a champion is going to be somebody who's like, that's your big internal advocate. So I always give people a visual of like, imagine this person in your company, like walking up and down their halls, holding a sign, right? Like preaching that you are like the savior, right? That, that's your champion is someone who's got that big voice and actually has the voice internally and that clout to go and make sure that you guys are being actually advocated for. So I thought that was interesting today because I was like, well, they, you can't be a blocker and a champion, so. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe one of the go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say, I think one of the, the things to add on to that too, Christy, that we often come across and try and, and talk about with our clients is always um, there is an account and the account has outcomes that they're looking to achieve, like that business is looking to achieve something. But then you actually have to look at the individual level and start treating those relationships at the individual level. You can't just always assume as well that they're tied to the account. So uh, one of the things I always like to, to think about as we go into uh, relationships and management and mapping uh, type of exercises like that is also, uh, like you mentioned, thinking about the influence that that person might have in the organization, trying to understand what are they actually trying to achieve personally? Like, do they want a promotion? Do they love their job? Do they, you know, do they just want to get home before 5 p.m.? Like actually understanding the the mechanics of that person. Um, and then I think the other, the third thing is too, also understanding, like you mentioned, the hierarchy of there are going to be different levels of people in the organization. And as a CSM, I may not be able to access all of them. And being okay with that and actually having an understanding to come back internally to my team to say, hey, I need the CEO so that I can go get this you know, uh, executive stakeholder or I need our chief technology officer because uh, we've had you know, uh, this amount of problems with the, the technology, like there needs to be a discussion that I can't have. And so I think that's also something that we've noticed a lot is that sometimes the CSM tries to go take that on themselves all the time saying, I need to go get these relationships. And 
know, you've got potentially sales counterparts, you have other uh, executives in the organization. There's a lot that you can actually use um, to bring into those conversations and use to your advantage um, as you're looking at, again, kind of building out the relationships that you have available to you in an organization as well. Yeah, you know what's actually interesting, um, just to segue a little bit, but staying on topic, is that in the community, I think someone had started a, a thread that was talking about how do you measure or qualify the value of each of the contacts you had. And maybe it didn't see that posted it or somebody, I, I can't recall, but we were looking at the different matrix that you can create. And so I had even talked about like, as you start to measure the different points of engagement with them, right? Like have they participated in any of your events? Um, do they attend your, your webinars? Have they served as a reference for you or participated in some advocacy? Have you met them in person? Um, just really, and start to really understand the different nuances that actually will help also build and develop those relationships, I think is also a different or interesting way to think of it. Like you've got all these people upfront that you've got to now nurture and figure out what roles they'll play in supporting the partnership. So it's also, I think, important to actually start to have some points of measurement to, to understand what are the things you should be doing together to grow and obviously build and develop those relationships over time. Jeff, I think the point you made about not having the CSM not having to manage and own every single relationship is a really important one. We have to think of this as like a team thing. So you get paired up at different levels of the organization in like project management parlance, we would think of that as like a governance model, like who's going to be working with whom in the relationship. And it's okay if to have an executive within your company interface with an executive at your customer's company. Because a lot of times what happens is we tend to get boxed in at the day-to-day -day contact level if that's who we're interacting with all day. And it's hard to just jump right up over their head, right? We don't want to do that to them because we have to continue to work with that person week after week, month after month. So um, it's all about leveraging your, your whole team. Yeah. On the flip side, the, I think if you are a CSM um, and one uh, skill set to continue to continue to grow is to be able to start to break in and have those conversations, but totally. still understanding and, and having the self-awareness to say, hey, this might not be the perfect timing for me to do it. But I do think over time, like that's how you're going to grow as a CSM is to be able, can you go hold those conversations? Can you, uh, can you build the agenda? Can you build a deck that is going to be held in front of a CEO, you know, one of your companies and your executive team member is going to be in there with you. Um, like those are the skills obviously that we want to build, but at the same time, like the self-awareness I think becomes a, a big element um, that you need to identify that, you know, so that again, you're thinking about the kind of overall business and the success that we're going to have, not just your personal success too. Yeah, that's right. All right. So let's talk about going the other direction. So we have a, a big client that works with really, really large municipalities. And we were talking to one of their account managers, which they have there that are different than the CSMs. And one of the things that this account manager did that I really, really liked was he actually had a bunch of end users, like power users that he was real close with. And he would get lots of information from them. So Christy, how do you think about going the other direction and building, like how many of those kind of relationships should you have in a given account of, you know, whatever size? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that there's a there's a good ratio, right? Like, I think it's formulating the right relationships with the right people who are going to help build the partnership. Um, you know, I always tell my team, like, listen, build a relationship with whomever you can if it makes sense, right? But like, I've got, you know, we've got hundreds of thousands of end users in any of our one products, right? Because they're using our applications. I'm not going to send my CSMs to go and engage all these people, right? So be smart. Who are maybe even identifying them based on their usage or their activities and saying, okay, great. Of all these folks at this other level, right? These are power users. And so I want to engage them because then they can help me build advocacy to drive further adoption and deepen use cases across the user base. So I would say like, I'm never opposed to building relationships. I think relationships at all levels, up, down, sideways are, are good and they're important. Um, I just think you got to be thoughtful about where you're investing your time. And that's really what it comes down to. If you've got endless time, if they're your only account, great, go build all the relationships, go build relationships with their spouses and their kids and their dogs. Um, but the reality of it is, is that most of us don't have that luxury. So you just got to be strategic about how you think about it. 
totally. And, and I like that, that point too, that you just made about, um, you know, leveraging, if we do build end user relationships, like leveraging that at the other levels as you, so, you know, um, maybe we can use our end user relationships to help us dictate, you know, what does the first executive business review look like or the champion review look like, you know, how can we actually shape the content and the message and the narrative and use all of that to your advantage too. Cause I think um, sometimes we also don't think about the advantages, kind of the, the side benefits that could come with a relationship like that, which is, um, you know, not only are they going to go be your champions internally, but you should, you know, find a, a healthy way that they can give you information. That's just going to be really beneficial to growing the relationship, growing the account, making sure that we're kind of putting ourselves in the best light um, in front of, people that they probably already have deep relationships with as well. So I think that was a good point you just made there. Yeah. Relationships could be a double-edged sword too. This is, I, I'm interested to hear you guys think about this. So have you ever been in a situation where we are too dependent on relationships or the CSM feels like if they, if they get reassigned to a different account or that account comes away from them, that we're probably going to lose the customer. I think that's a real risk, right? And, and relationships are great, but that can't be the only value that we provide to our clients. Like most of the value still has to come from the product and this provide. So Christy, have you ever, have you dealt with that one before? I, I am smiling because I, I like to think of when I was a CSM, I was a really good CSM. And me too. Um, right? I, like, I think I was a good best, the CSM best ever, right? Like nobody out CSM to me. Um, <laughs> but I will speak back to an experience and not name names, but I was working on at one of the companies that I was at as an individual contributor. And I happened to be supporting, I was a CSM on probably one of our largest accounts. It was a huge global software company. Um, and they were very vocal to our CEO that if I was taken off the account that they were going to our competitor, that they basically said like, wow, we get a ton of value from your software, but your big differentiator is having Christy. And listen, in all fairness, I was a subject matter expert in the space. So I was acting truly as an extension of their team, right? I had gotten to that point of trusted advisor, that like holy grail that we all strive to get to. It took me years to get there, but I had. And so it was a problem. It became a very big contentious point because as I got promoted and I moved from individual contributor to leader and kept advancing my career, I had to hold on to that one account. So I was actually never allowed to be removed off of the account, even as a VP, because there was this fear that this company was gonna leave and the impact that was gonna have to the business. So, I mean, it is detrimental and it's really tough because. Um, what are you going to do? You're going to penalize the CSM for doing their job too well? No. But even with our executives trying to build and foster those relationships, they're not nurturing it the way that I was because of my involvement, right? I had really built trust with, the, with all of our contacts at a very, very senior level. And so even our CEO couldn't broker and build a relationship at the level and the way that I did because of the time and I think, you know, value I was providing for them. So it's tricky. So I don't have an answer, but I can tell you it's a really bad situation to find yourself in. (laughs) It's hard. But that word trusted advisor, I mean, while we're on that topic, I think that's a moniker that the client gives you, not that we can give ourselves, right? I often see people say, our CSM is going to be your trusted advisor. You have to earn that. Correct. Right. And like I said, like I, it took me years of working on that account and building that and delivering, right? Like and doing what I say I was going to do when I say I was going to do it and being able to be reliable for them, incredible as a resource. Um, you know, I, it, it takes a lot of time, right? Like that, that was a real relationship. And to the point now, I will tell you, as I advanced my career, their senior executive actually has served as a reference for me as I've gone on to other companies because so many companies will ask, well, I want to speak with a customer reference as well. Um, you know, they want to speak to and maybe your direct manager, maybe somebody who reported to you, but they also want to speak to a customer and that customer has served as a reference and advocate for me. So. All right, let's sum it up. So, and then we'll move to a different topic. So you got champion. That's the person that is raving for you inside the business. So the person Correct. that's going to get fired if you do poorly, they're going to get promoted if you did really well. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, it's different than your main point of contact. It may not be your champion. 
right? Yeah, could main be. Point of could but be. it doesn't need to be. Hopefully, but it, it doesn't have to be. Um, executive sponsor is the person who's signing the check or the person whose budget the spend is coming out of in the way I think about it. Yeah. Um, and then you've got power users, people who are, they really know your system. And I think you need to have users at all those, those levels to be, to be successful and um, mitigate the risk of losing any one of those layers is sort yeah. of how we talk about it. I think okay. assessing the, the cross-functional uh, influencers too, important, right? Like, so there are people that you don't work directly with. They might not even be using your product, but they have strong influence over the partnership. And so being very hyper aware of who they are and what level of influence they have. So that was just another point I wanted yeah. to make. Yeah, totally. That's, that is, and there's kind of a tangential part there too, um, which I'm curious, Christy, um, I know we didn't, you know, this is a, a question that uh, just popped up in my head, but how do you think about getting some of the, the CSMs, Jay, I'm curious your point, like to go learn somebody's business um, to understand that, right? Because I think to your point, Christy, like there's, you know, I can know, I can know what a digital marketing agency does, but it's also different for me to go in and see how my product is impacting multiple parts of their business and all of the, you know, all of the areas that they actually make money and revenue themselves and how, you know, how all those departments work with one another. Like that's a different level of depth, um, kind of thinking about how does your customer make money and how does that kind of the business actually operate? So I'm curious if you, how do you try and get your CSMs to kind of think maybe a layer deeper than just the software, like, have you had them go read public reports before? Do you get, have them get Google, alert, Google alerts about the industry? Like, what are just some, some easy ways that people can go learn? Like, hey, this is what my business, this is what my, uh, my account does and this is how they make money. So in, in a world pre-COVID, um, we used to spend a lot of time going on site with customers, right? To understand their business and like really walk the halls, right? Like understand like, okay, well, tell us what you do, how you do it, who you are, how you exist, um, and really spending that time with them in person to do that. I think when you're, when you're on site and you have the ability to kind of like walk around with them and really understand it and speak to other teams, you get a better sense of that. But now what I do have the team doing, because we do have to invest that time to understand it, is that we basically do, um, we have parallel conversations happening with our customers during while they're in onboarding. So the first session that the CSM is having as part of that parallel track is that deep dive on their business. And it's understanding, okay, like, everything about how they operate, right? Where does this technology fit into their larger operating model? How do they understand the value correlation to it? What are they expecting from it long-term? Like, I mean, but it's really, it's all focused on them and it's a deep dive. It's an entire 60 minute session. That's just like, help me understand everything I need to know about your business as best I can. So we do start with that as kind of like that deep, just tell me what I need to know so that I can be very prescriptive in helping you be successful. Um, but yeah, obviously 10K reports, if they're publicly traded, you know, I always tell them like, listen, you get on all those quarterly calls, you, you absorb as much information as you can, go follow them. If you've got access to Bloomberg data, like go do that. Google alerts, mm, I like them, but they are noisy. Um, and mm, so I know that everyone yeah. sets them up because it's part of like the, you set it up, but then how much time are we actually spending reading them? Probably not a lot. Owler is helpful, but uh, again, it's, these things can be noisy if you've got a lot going on with a, a big company. Um, but we, I tell them, I'm like, listen, read and research, go to their website, right? Like go fill out leads, go listen to their webinars, right? Like, so, yeah. I mean, most companies are doing a lot of things out there for their customer base, act as if you were a customer and just go try to learn as much as you can. Yeah. I also like to equate it to like, if you were going to apply to get a job there, like imagine you were doing the research to go feel confident enough to walk into the room that you could answer any questions that they're going to ask you about how you would be successful in their business. So I always, you know, when I was a um, account manager, CSM, I was always thinking about going to read public reports. I always thought about watching, uh, watching videos of like CEO talks or uh, yeah. if they gave any presentations, um, anything like that. Like you mentioned, if they had any case studies, I would try and go pull those down. But um, I think there's just like, so especially now, like they're, you don't even need the Google alerts of the world. Like just, there is so much information available at your fingertips that you should be taking advantage of. But I think that's another element that helps you in that relationship side, which is kind of 
how do they make money? And then also, what are the other parts of influence across that organization? Uh, what are the departments um, with that influence as well? So very interesting question that came up uh, this morning on a call that Jeff and I had about how you work with customers that are doing trials or proofs of concepts or pilots um, or even that have a freemium model. All four of those things probably slightly different in some ways. So maybe we can start there. I don't know. I don't want to put anybody on the spot about the definitions of those four things, but maybe we'll just start simple. Difference between freemium and proof of concept or a pilot. You have thoughts on that, Christy? So I would say that the proof of concept or a pilot, those are, those are scoped and defined, right? Like they've got a timeline associated with it. They've got criteria that's being actively measured, um, right? So like there, there's a, a full scope there. I would say like a freemium model, it's like you have access to the software. Hopefully maybe you upgrade it to some enhanced features or functionality, but like you're basically saying that you like it enough to use it for free. Right. That would be my, that would be my loose yeah. way of defining yeah. those. Yep. Yeah, yep. I think. And um, what was the fourth one? Uh, okay. I don't know which fourth trial. one you Trial. What's the difference between a trial and a pilot? I feel like a trial almost borders closer to the freemium. Yeah. Because it's like freemium, but most people, it's like you're, you don't have anyone scoping it, right? Like it's, it's time down, but there's no other criteria tied to it. There's nobody yeah. measuring it. So, it, you know, you just have access to something. Like, I mean, I think about it like these, all these fitness apps now with COVID and everyone having to work out at home. Like how many things are, right, I get a trial for two weeks, but nobody's asking me what my fitness goals are. Um, it's the same thing, right? Eventually it just yeah. is going to run out and you'll decide whether or not you've gotten enough value out of it without someone guiding you that you want to continue. Yeah. So, so then what should the, okay. So we've seen companies that have a proof of concept. There's no dollars behind that. The, the deal's not really closed. Um, and the question always comes up, what role should the CSM play that? Cause CSMs are used to deals already being closed for the most part, but their skill set is really helpful on the other side of that, right. To help close the deal, which we should all want because we want to grow these accounts and, uh, we, we need to do that. So what role should the CSM play in both of those situations? Let's start with the proof of concept. So I'll jump in here. So the way that our organization handles it is a proof of concept for us is sometimes it could even be a paid proof of concept, right? Like it's just based off of a shorter period of time because there's still a financial investment. I think they're more committed to that engagement and actually working together. Um, I will say that like sometimes the difference of having a paid pilot or a scope or whatever sometimes will drive a better or different behavior, thus leading to a better outcome um, because they're putting something in it, right? They've got skin in the game. But either way, the way that we structured is that, you know, for most of our organizations where we are doing pilot, they have to be of a certain size. We don't allow pilots um, with any, or trial or anything like that with any customer that's below a certain threshold. So obviously these are sizable deals in our organization where we would do that. And we do, we wanna represent ourselves the way that we would if they were a customer coming on board. We wanna give them that full experience because we believe that that's actually gonna be a big dif differentiator for us. And you know, we want them to know like this is what it would be like to be a customer, right? If I remove that element, not only are they, they lacking the benefit of having that CSM dialogue and that consultation that's part of that initial engagement, um, but they're also like lacking that experience and the resources and that, that kind of intelligence that we bring to bear in supporting them. And we believe that that's really important. Um, and I don't want to just obviously defer. I think our onboarding team does a great job, right? But they, they have a very specific skill set and a very, play a very specific role. I will say the big difference for us is that they're getting additional resources because sales stays actively involved, right? In our other models where if they came on as a customer, we wouldn't necessarily keep sales involved, right? They maybe join the kickoff and then it's like, okay, Mr. Customer, maybe a little bit during onboarding, but they've got to go and sell more business. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's the model in our organization. So for us, um, you know, I, I think it's really key, but the salesperson would be obviously actively involved in a pilot or any kind of trial like that. Does that put more pressure on your CSMs to have the salesperson 
you know, sort of coming at them saying, Hey, like, where are we on this? Like, how do we, how do we get this across the line? Or is it scoped well, tightly enough that it doesn't matter? We try to be so proactive and transparent about everything on the projects that nobody needs to be chasing anybody. Um, I also make sure that it's very clear that like we are all equals in this, right? Like we are three, we have three partnerships in sales, customer success and onboarding, and we all have an equal stake in the game here. And so Nobody should be chasing anybody, right? Because I'm also very sensitive to personalities. I get that sales wants to do the right thing, but they're equally as responsible as we are in delivering that. So as long as they set proper expectations on what this would look like, we've scoped it adequately, and the customer success and onboarding teams are delivering on what was staged and set up, then I think you know all three parties should feel really good about what's happening in the engagement. It's an ideal world, and I know that we don't live in a perfect world, but that is what's designed by us. One question I was just sitting here thinking, Jay, um, from your standpoint is, do you, um, at some point, does your, you know, in some organizations, if you're doing proof of concept enough times, like, do you even spin off a team that is specifically handling, if you're doing enough of them, like, would you actually consider spinning off a team to do proof of concepts, you know, that, uh, to Christy's point, almost is like its own customer journey, and we have trained people on that customer journey, and it kind of goes through a very um, specific way, and hopefully it's, um, to Christy's point too, hopefully it's very similar to if they were a customer, but uh, maybe more abbreviated, more abbreviated, and uh, we have a specific team who's just kind of almost like onboarding, has a motion that they were used to in terms of doing potentially proof concepts. I don't know if you've ever come across that or thought about that. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we have clients that have a separate success engineering team on the sales side, and that's what they do. I would say that the motion is very similar to what they're going to be, what you would do pre or post sale, but the metrics are a lot different, right? The metrics for those guys. And I think this happens more when you get to scale. It's not something that you're probably going to do when you're an earlier stage company, $20 million in revenue. You're going to do this when you're a hundred, 200, $300 million, but you have a team whose job it is to go get that booking done. Part of getting that booking done is running a solid proof of concept. Um, and, and it's also clearly there's all kinds of different ways to account for the cost of CS teams and adoption teams and all that kind of stuff. But this is clearly a cost of acquisition, right? So it's also helpful from the CFO's perspective to be able to put the right headcount in the right buckets to keep it clean and just know what our true cost of sale actually is. So I think it, when you get to scale, maybe you, you start breaking that out. Have you ever seen it done that way, Christy? Obviously, you can definitely see where that would make sense in larger organizations. I've not worked in this capacity at a company that was operating like that, no. I mean, even when we did, like a proof of concept different than a pilot, right? Like a proof of concept is maybe something that is happening before anyone's putting signature to anything. And it's just like, help me understand this software deployed in my environment. Let me play around with it for two weeks and have access to it so I can get a sense of how it's going to work. Um, that's going to be different. I would see a sales engineer kind of working close to the salesperson to make sure that they know how to use it, that they're, they're trying it out right, that they're using the functionality correctly, um, which is a very different experience than if they're coming on as a pilot, right? Like I would even yeah. say that those two things are separated out a bit more, but we don't do proof of concepts because of like our, our software, we have a hardware component as well. Like we can't give you a piece of hardware to just go tinker around with for like, 10 days. Um, so for us, it really is like, it has to be a pilot program and it's obviously just, it's, it's a lot, there's a lot more complexity to, to our ability to do that. So we even, like I said, ours are paid. Um, we're not doing it for free. So, and I think, like I said, we get a lot more engagement for customers. It's this minimal commitment. And in fact, the, yeah. the price is actually, we make pricing concessions to do it, but it does, I think, again, having some skin in the game, it really does help us get that right engagement and obviously make sure that we're driving forward so we can be successful. Yep. Yeah, I, I think, go ahead, Jeff. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, you, you've got a segment and figure out who you want to do this for and who you, who you don't. Yeah. That may be uh, determined by what they can pay to participate in a pilot. Um, 
and then they, well, there have to be criteria, right? Thanks. Well, that's the other thing. You have to know how they're criteria. defining success, right? Yeah. Like, so how, how will we know if this is a successful pilot or not? And obviously setting all that up day one, day zero is actually so critical because if you don't have that properly scoped, they can change that midstream, right? Like you tell me, like you need to see A, B, and C. If you see those things, you're confident that we can help deliver a longer term partnership for you and solution, great, we're moving forward. But if you don't have that defined, I've also seen that go quite the other direction, right? Where it's like, no, nope, yep. actually I decided that these five other things that I didn't know that I needed, you don't actually provide and I actually want them and I'm gonna go a different direction. So I think that's, that's a big component of the pilot is having all the success criteria properly scoped and documented. And then as you move down to, this is where I think that it's interesting when you start getting into this freemium question, because I think that even, that speaks a little bit more to the B2C world, more so than a B2B, just like the examples you mentioned of, um, you know, some of these fitness apps, uh, like I had a Fitbit as well that I got for Christmas, like there's all these things that just have this B2C component. And um, I always find it interesting when businesses have that concept too, because um, it's challenging when you start thinking about going from freemium to whatever their first paid plan is. And if the only way that they can be successful is if they go through like a proper onboarding and have proper training. And so then uh, you could pretty quickly find yourself in a cyclical, cyclical nature with that group that says, I go from premium to paid. I don't have all the right components. I don't have the right training. And then I just don't like it. I'm just going to leave. And I can imagine that just becomes like a churn bucket uh, that everyone just looks at and says, oh, that just happened down in our fourth segment. Um, but I'm curious, what are from both your perspectives, like what are some ways maybe to try and think about that last segment of, you know, if we do have a freemium model and we're trying to move somebody up to the next level, um, you know, trying to be cognizant of resources and everything, like what are some of the quick ways that come to mind to try and, you know, look at that segment and kind of put the appropriate amount of resources to make sure they can be successful at the first paid level, we'll say. I think it's a segmented approach based on who those companies are, which if they're doing a freemium trial, then you should be able to start to get a feel for that, right? And we can only really afford to spend as much as that segment will allow us to spend to get them to the next tier of our, of our service. So I think, you know, at the lowest end freemium is product driven. Like you actually are in the product. You're, I think HubSpot's a great example of this, right? If you go in and you can use free HubSpot CRM, which we started out on, I think we might still be on, <laughs> but <laughs> there are certain things that we're like, Oh man, look at that great option. Like I didn't ever see this in the menu before you go to click on it. And they're like, no, that's locked until you upgrade. Right. And then they send you to their, to their pricing page, which is, you know, a great way to, to help us understand what we have to do to go to the next level. So, I mean, that's on the low, low, lowest end. And that to me is freemium, right? Pure play freemium. But then I think yeah. you know, as you get above that, it's, it's more of a, you know, segment by who the, who the customer is, what's their potential to spend with us. And then how likely are they to spend that amount with us as to how much risk we take on in that early pilot yeah, I mean, I think you got to do your due diligence, due diligence to like understand what that segment looks like and how do they behave and like what are what are the triggers, right? Like, so a you know that these five parts of your technology are going to be the stickiest, they're going to be the most valuable. That you know that your customers who are paying rave about them. Um, you know, how do you make sure that those are getting used and adopted? I would say like, listen, building out as much automation in that process so that you can replicate a more personalized journey for them, but like where they're getting equal touch points. Maybe you've got in-app guides and experience to really help craft that so that way they're not kind of left to their own devices. Because I find that if your product is not also super intuitive and that they don't understand how to use it, they're going to miss a lot of the value they could be getting from it that they otherwise would be exposed to if they had guided onboarding and somebody helping them. So I think it's also understanding like how, how intuitive is your product? Is it something where it's like, 
okay, this is easy, I get it. Or is it gonna take some guide? Make sure you've got the technology behind it to help automate that if you're not gonna staff resources. Um, and then you've got some kind of way to kind of check in during that period of time as well and get sentiment and feedback. Because again, you wanna do that before. It's like, oh, okay, great. Tomorrow we're gonna charge your credit card. Um, and be yeah. like, no, 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 hold on, delete. Um, right, so like even getting a sense of like where they're at before that in a timely enough manner where you can feel like, you know, my team can either interject because we wanna, in, we wanna insert resources here because we believe based on their usage or patterns that it could be a potential customer or not, right? So I don't know, yep. I think there's certain signals and ways that you can use technology to help really scale that. Yeah, I think that the, the last part of that too, that's the, um, the way that you can leverage technology to hopefully find some of those answers, uh, just to your point. So can we, you know, instead of having a, an executive or business review or QBR that, you know, we're not gonna have with a freemium customer, like what are some of the, the key questions that we wanna know about what they're trying to achieve? And can I get those in a survey? Can I get them while they're in their profile that they're filling out on the, on what, on the, um, on the website as well? So I think there's also these, like you said, there's, there's gotta be this technology component that has to be considered if you're gonna, going to have a freemium model and um, have it be cost effective for the business to actually operate. Yeah. I mean, technology is so key to scaling. So I would assume that anybody who's really trying to do something meaningful with that cohort, if that's the experience that they're investing in technology to support it. Yeah. And then the, the last part too, just to Jay's point, is I think as you start moving just a little bit higher maybe, is uh, then just trying to make sure that if you are going to apply any resources, is that you're, to your point, maybe looking at the signals, you're looking at um, what's happening, and then trying to apply your resources to the opportunities that you think are the best chance to actually convert to a paid plan. So you know, not just looking at all of freemium, but trying to segment that down into um, who looks like customers who are already paying, who's, you know, using or behaving in the software, people who are already paying, and then trying to apply the right resources. And again, um, probably something that, you know, Christy is going to hit me upside about, the, hit me upside the head with all the time is like making sure that you have the playbooks and the automation and the enablement to make that an actual process that people can follow. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Gil Latka, who's watching the live stream right now, had an interesting point. He draws a distinction between PSC and Pilot, which is good for us to discuss. So I'll read to you what he said, and then we could chat about it real quick. I found that the success criteria tends to be different between a POC and a Pilot. In the POC, the experience, uh, the success criteria focuses on high-level capabilities and usability. In a Pilot, it tends to be measured business outcomes or visibility into those metrics that impact those outcomes. I think that's a really interesting distinction, Gil. Um, and actually helps you know, clarify the way we were just talking about and thinking about it. It's not really the same thing. One is more of a, hey, can this work for my business? And then a pilot is, we're actually going to test it out in production. Yeah. Uh, that's maybe where the paid option comes in to your point, Christy. And then um, if it does work out in production, it's like a, I think of a TV pilot, right? If it, if it gets good ratings, we're going to go forward Correct. with it and roll it forward. If it doesn't get good ratings, we're going to, if it doesn't meet those business objectives or those outcomes that we need or the leading indicators, then we're probably going to pull back on that. Let's, yeah, let's no, I mean, it. I think that was spot on. I thought his assessment there, I mean, it, it's right, right? Like we don't, we don't do proof of concepts in my role, just because I said like the level of complexity with the hardware and software, but pilots absolutely. And our, our criteria is always almost tied to business outcomes. So. Yeah. Perfect. Let's, uh, let's just hope they start, you know, giving out pilots like they do Netflix and maybe we'll just get some contracts <laughs> through like 2024, you know, we'll have, we'll have episodes already rolling for years. That's right. For those who may be joining what we're doing here, so we're doing, this is our first LinkedIn Live, but we're, um, we're also recording this as a podcast. We do a weekly Q&A, Christy, Jeff, and I, Christy Falteruso, Jeff Brunsbach, Jay Nathan, jump on the phone, and we just sort of collect questions that we get on LinkedIn and, and other places throughout the uh, course of a week, and we hop on, a phone, on the phone every Thursday, and we record a podcast and just try to answer them. So that's what we're doing. So we got one more that we'll hit today, and then we'll call it a day, um, but there's, um, there's been a lot of questions about support um uh recently 
And I think, um, so what I'm seeing in this question, so I'll just read it. Uh, I'm currently looking for a support or CRM platform to implement in my company. We're a small organization. Uh, internal communications are done via Trello, like a Trello board. Um, and the most urgent needs are that we have as a company are to document communication with clients, um, understand our efficiency of basically turning those questions from our clients back around, uh, unifying various streams of efforts into one dashboard or platform. I think of maybe like an incident if it affects multiple customers, like bringing that work stream into one, one, one spot. Um, and then, so it says, do you know any products that might fit this super generic description? I, I mean, to me, that is Zendesk, Service Cloud. Yeah. Um, th this is a support kind of workflow that's being described here. So Christy, tell me how you think about the difference between support and customer success and then the tooling underneath both of those. I'm not going to go and like get into my long winded description because I'm also <laughs> watching the clock, but like support is going to be reactive, technical in nature in their engagement and customer success should be proactive and they're kind of orchestrating resources to help drive business outcomes. So that's going to be like my high level, how I'm going to differentiate the two, which out, without getting into any specific nuances about either role, they're both super, super valuable, both critical to any success. Of both are definitely necessary. Correct. But they're, different, but they're different. They are different. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I like I, I always think that they're um, dependent on one another. Like if support's not working, then success is going to be dragged in conversations that they don't want to be involved in and then vice versa. If if success is not working, then support um, is not necessarily going to have good experiences with the customers and, be, and have um, good customer experience. So I think those two things are always very interdependent on one another. And um, to your point, Jay, I think one of the things that um, is really interesting that I think people have gotten maybe a misconception about is um, kind of Salesforce as a CRM, and then you've got Service Cloud and potentially other offshoots off of that, and how um, you know it can be powerful, but at the same time, like the, there are very different use cases, and you have to set them up um, in ways that will support that. So you know, just because we have Salesforce doesn't mean we necessarily have Service Cloud, and we also, if we have Service Cloud, we actually have to set up Service Cloud so that it has the right workflows that we can tag you know tickets in the right way so that we can create the right reporting so that we can see um you know time to resolution and certain metrics and dashboards that we want to and then also you know don't forget about success also if you have a cs tool that's you know of a, in and of itself that's great but then also if you're using um salesforce that is also different than what your sales team might be using for salesforce so it's i think it all starts to, to um, kind of form together for a lot of people but there are very different use cases for each of those departments and each of those systems that you could be using at any given time. Amen. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right. So <laughs> we, we, um, we typically wrap this up at five o'clock and I think everybody's got another call after this. So that's the end of our first LinkedIn live. Appreciate everybody uh, checking in and uh, taking a look at it. And we'll be publishing this as a podcast in the next couple of weeks. So if you listen to, um, or if you subscribe to the gain, grow, retain podcast, you should get it in your feed uh, and you can re-listen if you really want to. So cool. All right, Christy, good to see you. Bye, guys. Jeff, good see to ya. see you. Talk soon. Take care. Bye. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.